Hey guys, this week's sponsor is Athletic Brewing Co. Non-alcoholic brews. So these guys have been pioneering craft beer revolution where you can enjoy all the great tastes of craft beer delivered to your door without the buzz of the alcohol. And they have some really great new uh, flavors as well. So they have Free Wave Hazy IPA. And I've always enjoyed a nice, strong IPA, but I don't always want the effects of the alcohol. So this is something that I can drink after workout, even before workout, maybe even during a workout. And nobody can say anything, uh, especially the cops on the drive home. So Athletic Brewing comes in these beautiful cans with a variety of flavors from Run Wild IPA to First Ride Coffee Porter. Uh, to having a stout mix pack, which I think a lot of you would enjoy. So check them out at Athletic Brewing Co., which is athleticbrewing.com, and you can use the coupon code BOSS20 to get 20% off your order. Uh, you can even check out a variety case and see what there is and what all this hype is about. Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, where we interview location-independent entrepreneurs that travel the world like a boss by being their own boss. Here's your host, Johnny FD. Hey, bosses, this is Johnny, and welcome to episode 266 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. So this was very unplanned and unexpected, but we are having a second solo episode in a row, which is something I never do. I always have guests on, as you would listen to the other 250 episodes, but a lot has changed in the last couple of weeks, and I'm no longer Sri Lanka. I am in Kiev, Ukraine. So there's a lot I want to unpack in this episode, including why I left Sri Lanka, what the process was like leaving and then flying into Ukraine, what winter is like here in Ukraine, what the process was like with the visas and PCR tests, COVID tests, all that, the cost of living differences between the two countries, what are, you know the pros and cons of both. And uh, some other things that are going to be pretty exciting. So first, the main reason why I left Sri Lanka is I just got tired of it. It's On one hand, I want to thank the country of Sri Lanka for being so open and being such a beautiful place to spend an entire year. But after 13 months of being there, you know, I, I just had to see something different. You know, It's a relatively big island where you have a lot of different geographic zones, you know, so in the kind of the middle, you have the tea country, which has cooler weather. You have uh, Yala and other national parks where sometimes it feels like Africa, you know. And you have Colombo, the big city. So you have kind of more of a metropolitan vibe. Then you have all the beaches in the south and on the east coast. So it was a bit varied there. But to be honest, life outside of Colombo is very rural, you know. You would think that some of these more popular cities and towns, especially in the south, where there's a lot of people, a lot of tourists, a lot of people living, you would think that they would have kind of like some, you know, mid-sized city or even small city vibes. But the truth is, the restaurants outside of Colombo just aren't that good. And the infrastructure is worse. It's, you know, in Colombo, you can have a pretty good life. You can take Uber everywhere. You can order food. There's nice restaurants, nice gyms, nice accommodation. The internet works decently well within Colombo itself, but nobody wants to live in Colombo. It's it's one of those places where when you go there uh, as a tourist, 
every single tourist guide you'll ever read says skip Colombo or just go there for one or two days to do some shopping. And the reason for that is it's just another city. And there's some things to see, but the beaches there are you know, pretty dirty and um, it, you, you never want to spend time there. And culturally wise, there's not that much to do in, in Colombo. It's also not that walkable of a city. First, it's hot. But second, the problem when, when you walk around Colombo is every 30 seconds, a taxi driver, a tuk-tuk driver will get in front of you. I mean, and, and not just, you know, ask from the side, but like they will really bother you. They'll honk the horn. They'll yell at you. They'll drive onto the street in front of you. They'll cut you off while you're walking. Sometimes they'll like drive from the other side of the road and almost hit you and say, hey, do you want to ride? And you're like, no, like I'm just walking. Like, let me walk in peace. And it's just not possible there. So nobody's ever walking. Like, you almost never see anyone walking. And while there are some decent coffee shops and co-working spaces, they're really hard to find. And it's strange where they have this culture where if a place shuts down, nobody bothers updating it on Google Maps. Like, even people who, I mean, first off, the owner doesn't bother. Uh, and second, when people show up and they see it's closed, they just leave. Nobody takes the time to mark it as closed or leave, you know, review saying it's closed. So I went to maybe five different co-working spaces or coffee shops that have been shut down for more than two years. And it wasn't just because of COVID. It, was, it happened, you know, two, three years ago sometimes. And some of the big chains, like even like Coffee Bean, like they don't keep everything updated. And I was shocked that even big chains like Wendy's or KFC, for whatever reason, their Google map listings are terrible. It was like it was made by, you know, not even a third grader because I think a third grader would would do a better job. There just isn't an online presence uh, or care for things like that in Shaka because everything is done through word of mouth. And it really is a little bit like how things were you know, 10, 20 years ago in a lot of countries. And speaking of which, when I had to get my COVID test or uh, to leave the country, which actually is something I didn't even know I needed because in general, when you fly somewhere, you check what the new country's requirements are. And with Ukraine, because I was coming from a green zone country, a country that had very little COVID cases at the time, I didn't even need a PCR test. So I just assumed, oh, that's easy. I don't need a PCR test. Let me just fly there. And it wasn't until a day and a half before I was scheduled to leave, having, you know, saying goodbye to people. Luckily, a few, like two or three different people said, hey, make sure you have your PCR test. And I said, no, no, no. Like, um, Ukraine doesn't need it. And I later found out, I was like, let me just double check. And I found out I need a test to leave Sri Lanka's airport for whatever reason. And I thought, okay, this is... Uh, a hassle. I wish somebody would have told me um, during checkout or you know with a ticket or something, but not big deal. I'll just get one. And I knew they had these rapid tests or these 24-hour tests, even these rapid engine tests. And I thought, okay, I'll just get one. And I contacted. Well, first I, I just tried to Google it. No information. Uh, you know, and I'm pretty good at googling stuff. So I just I googled like local. I was like COVID test near me, PCR test near me, COVID-19 test near me, rapid engine test near me. Nothing. Checked on Google Maps, and I got a couple of leads. Luckily, I called the hospitals first. You know, I was on hold for 20 minutes, had to transfer the call five times, and they said, no, we don't do it anymore, or we don't do it. And 
I probably spent maybe two or three hours calling <laughs> every hospital in the two biggest cities near me, which is Gaul and Matara. And basically, all of them just either didn't answer. It took, you know, 20 minutes each. It didn't help that it was a Sunday, you know, because everything there, whatever, is closed on Sundays. And I realized then, I was like, I'm screwed because I'm 36 hours away uh, from my flight and I need to get this now. And luckily, I knew a local Sri Lankan guy that was kind of the, the friend of the landlord of my my apartment that I was renting. He knew the, I think he was like the the PHI officer or something, like public health inspector. And he calls this guy on his, on his personal cell phone and he explains the situation. That guy said, okay, I have some connections. Let me call you back in, tw- you know, in 20 minutes. Calls back and says, okay, I found you a place in Colombo, but you need to get... You need to go there right now. You need to get there before 5 p.m. And it was already like afternoon. And I was like, okay, I was planning on leaving to the airport tomorrow and just getting into town, you know, 24 hours hours early. But I guess I'm leaving two days early now. I'd pack all my bags and just hop into a a tuk-tuk and race my way there because it's a three, four-hour drive. And I had so much stuff from a year of living in Sri Lanka but for travel I just had these two bags so I had to just throw things away and get rid of things and basically pack my carry-on luggage for the next you know the next country and I probably ended up leaving a bunch of you know stuff that otherwise I wouldn't have thrown out um, but I left it as kind of a, a gift so I left two bottles of Iraq which is the the nice liquor uh, I left a ton of food and fruit that I had just bought because I thought I was staying longer. But either way, it ended up working out. Um, it, it was actually kind of, honestly, kind of a pain in the butt. Like, everything was disorganized. And it reminded me why I wanted to leave Sri Lanka. Just because nothing is easy there. And everything has to be done through a phone call from someone that you know. And that, I think, is what is holding the country back so much. Where no matter what it is, if you need a building permit... If you get a traffic ticket, you know, if you kill someone, everything is just a phone call away to resolve the issue. You know, when friends were kind of locked out of Colombo during the curfew, luckily they knew a guy who knew a guy and then let him back, you know, into the into the district. For us to change districts from the south to Aragon Bay, the information was very unclear about when people can, can travel, but the local officers would happily accept a bottle of gin to to give you a little waiver uh, and let you go through. So it's, it's, it's a strangely corrupt country where in some ways it's a you know, very safe country and in other ways I think they're just very used to, you know, you scratch my back, I scratch your back and we take care of each other. But the problem is then the vast majority of people don't get taken care of. You know, there's still a huge split between wealth, you know, where I'll see people driving, you know, these like literally $150,000 cars uh, and they'll be driving on the street, you know, to buy a a 20 cent coconut from a guy who probably just makes a few dollars a day. And the vast majority of the people in the country are, you know, are living in a lot of poverty. But the other problem with that is because kind of they get used to it. Uh, they get used to the government providing things for them because it is a 
socialist democratic country or state, they continue to give the government and the politicians more and more power because they want more stuff for free. But what they don't realize is that stuff comes with a cost. You know, so Sri Lanka is a kind of a, a strange place because of that. And it just it was hard to explain to people why, you know, it's not okay to charge foreigners twice as much money for the same items, even though we can't afford it. And it's not that big of a deal to us to pay four dollars for lunch instead of two dollars for lunch. But when they charge us that, it makes us not feel very welcome and it makes us not want to go back there. And it makes us not want to recommend Sri Lanka to our friends. And there is a certain percentage of Sri Lankans, especially ones who have either lived abroad or were educated abroad, that they understand this long-term thinking, you know, this concept of, yeah, like you have to have everything kind of fair or it's going to end up hurting you, you know, in the long run. But a lot of people who are living there, they still have the mentality of, well, they have the money, so let's just, you know, charge them more or milk them for as much as we can. Let's get a bunch of handouts from different countries, whether it's through grants to build, you know, uh, Colombo Port City or to build a highway infrastructure or, you know, donations from, from you know, people or from tourists. Or let's just overcharge tourists for things. And it's not nearly as bad as Bali because Bali is basically, I want to say it's 100% uh, dependent on tourism. I think the actual number is something like 80%, but even those 80% of people are somehow connected. I mean, the, the remaining 20 is still somehow connected to tourism. And I hate Bali because of that, because it is, it's lost its authenticity where everything is just based on, you know, extracting as much money from tourists as possible. And the tourists only go there because they have these kind of tailored Instagram moments and they can share how you know beautiful the place is. And at first, I really was trying to change and help, you know, the, the mindset and the local economy and the people. But there's some things like the internet that just it just drove me crazy. And and one day, I mean, and there's always workarounds, right? So if you talk to anyone, they're like, "Oh yeah, no, why don't you try this? Why don't you try this? Why don't you try this?" And the problem is, you're always just trying something else, and People can't read fine print. So people, like when I said there is no unlimited Wi-Fi for homes or businesses, people are like, no, 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 but I saw this ad for it. And I'm like, did you read the fine print? It says it's unlimited up to four gigabytes, you know, or yeah, I said, that's not Wi-Fi, that's 4G service. And that's only unlimited for, you know, X amount of gigs uh, per month you know, or XYZ. And it's like, I just got tired of explaining to people, like I like, cause they get my hopes up. I do the research. And then I realized, hey, like they were completely wrong and they just wasted 20 minutes of my time. I send them the information and they just won't listen. They're like, yeah, but, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm like, okay, I'm done. I like, guys, I'm done. And what really just tipped me over the the scale was one day I woke up to just, you know, have my coffee, do some work. And for whatever reason, my uh, laptop wouldn't tether to my phone and to this day, I still don't know if it was a hardware issue, but I don't, I don't think it was because I didn't change anything. Uh, I'm pretty sure that the mobile internet connector, uh, the provider just for whatever reason decided not to allow hotspot tethering for a day. And the problem is I didn't know if it was going to be a day or if it was going to be forever because that's what happened with my first uh, 
uh, account with Dialog, which is what everybody was recommending, they worked fine for the first couple of weeks. And then they just kind of stopped working where they started overcharging me. And when I say overcharging me, I mean, I was paying like $100 a month <laughs> to use internet in a place where internet should cost like five bucks a month. And just, they were just overcharging and, you know, it was just, and if I was willing to just use my phone and consume content, consume Facebook, consume Instagram, consume YouTube, then it would cost me four bucks a month. But if I wanted to create content, I wanted to upload, I wanted to use my laptop to be productive, then it would cost me a hundred bucks a month. And it's, it just felt, I felt stupid paying a hundred bucks a month for something that everybody else was paying four bucks a month for, if that makes sense. So hope you guys understand. This is why I like having this podcast and this, uh, this community of digital nomads who understand why it's important to create. And, and, and unfortunately, places like Sri Lanka, they're very geared towards consumption only. And they don't understand these problems. So on one hand, it's a beautiful country. It's a beautiful culture. There's very kind people and lots to see, lots to do. So I encourage anyone to go there for vacation for a few weeks, but don't try to get any work done there. Uh, I have heard that the government has passed a law to force uh, internet companies to start offering unlimited Wi-Fi. And some people actually uh, message and comment and saying, hey, Johnny, I think that you, know, you complaining about it publicly for so many months uh, on your YouTube channel and, you know, and publicly everywhere that that might have struck uh, the, the response because it, it got a lot of people talking about it. So I do hope that I did leave that as a contribution to you know this wonderful country that kept me safe for an entire year. <coughs> but at the same time, I am so happy that I left when I did. On one hand, financially, it was a terrible mistake to, to leave because everything was so cheap there. The weather was so good. And you know, it was still fun being there, right? But I just, I just wasn't happy anymore. And I just got tired of dealing with the internet just not working half the time. The other part was safety, where every single day there was a close call with a uh, crazy bus driver or someone speeding you know, in a giant truck or something. And it's hard to explain unless you've lived there, but buses in every other country, they drive 10 kilometers or 10 miles slower than everyone else. In Sri Lanka, they have this mentality where if you're in the if you're in the bigger car, you should go faster because if you get into an accident, you're you're probably not going to die. So the smaller you are, the worse off you are. So basically, the main beach road where everything is, all the restaurants and shops uh, are where you would walk, where you would bicycle, is also the highway where or what people treat as a highway. So buses will be driving you know, 70 kilometers an hour, 80 kilometers an hour, which is like 60 miles an hour on a street where they should probably be going half that. And maybe legally they should be going half that. But what they would do is they would drive on the wrong side of the road and they'll honk their horn, this air horn, which just like stuns everybody. And you're, it's your job to jump out of the way, whether you're walking, crossing the street, on a bicycle, on a scooter, it is your job to jump out of the way. And as long as you jump out of the way, you're fine. But if for some reason you slip, you trip, um, you know, you hesitate for a second, you look the wrong way for a second, you will get hit by the bus and you will die. 
and hundreds, if not thousands, of people die probably every you know every year in Sri Lanka because of these bus accidents that they call it. And the thing that pisses me off the most is they just don't change it. They're just like, oh, it's an accident. He, the, the, the guy, I mean, I saw a guy on a bicycle get hit and <clears throat> died f- like half half a block away from me because this guy was an old guy riding a bicycle and he just couldn't get out of the way in time. And the bus driver doesn't care. He's like, oh, it was an accident. It's like, no, it wasn't an accident. You killed this guy. And that mentality just like, it, it made me realize my life is too valuable to risk being there. And I, I know, I, you know, I think 10, 20 years ago, I wouldn't have cared because my life wasn't worth that much. You know, like it's, it's hard to explain. Like in some countries, the value of life is very low because they have a lot of people. And if you have money, you're expected to be driving a big SUV. So with my financial status, I should be driving a land, you know, like a land cruiser everywhere I go. I should never walk. I should never be on a scooter. I should never even be in a tuk-tuk. But I don't want to live that life. I think it's stupid to live that life. And But if I want to live in that culture, I need to drive that armored car. I need to be in a Range Rover. Or it's my fault for wanting to walk. So that's why I left. Uh, I wrote about it on my blog. If you want to read more, it's johnnyfd.com. But let's let's get to the, the travel and the flight and what it's like flying in 2021. So my flight was through Fly Dubai, and went from Colombo Airport through Dubai, and then to Kivu Crane. The new rules is that you have to get to the airport four hours early. So I decided to get there four and a half hours early just in case. But the gates weren't open until I think two and a half or three hours before, anyways. So I ended up sitting around for an hour and a half doing nothing. Uh, the airport was ninety percent empty. Uh, I went through security and everything. Uh, and immigration very quickly. There was no issues at all. And the PCR test that I took, uh, I had to show it just to the gate agent during check-in, but never again. And I was able to show it on my phone, even though I was told I had to go back to the hospital the next day to pick up the paper copy, the original copy. Uh, no one ever asked to see it. The problem is, it's it's one of those gambles where if they ask to see it and you don't have it, then you're screwed. So even though it may or may not have actually been required, and in my case, I never needed it, it was still, you know, the gamble where you kind of had to go pick it up. So I had to go out of my way to go to the hospital, pick up this piece of paper that I never used. But if you're flying, I hate to say this, but you kind of just have to wait. You just have to do it. You just have to risk wasting your time and picking it up because the worst thing that can happen is you're at the airport and they have to see it and you're screwed. So... I would like airlines to just be more clear about it, uh, but this is kind of the state of the world right now. So have the paper copy if you can, um, but I just showed it on my phone and it was fine. Uh, the flight actually to Dubai was excellent because was, the plane was you know more than 50% empty and I had an entire row to myself. So I, I lay down, I slept, it was an overnight flight. I don't know why, but the flights... All the flights left at like 2 a.m. And I hate it when airports do this because it's terrible for sleep. And I understand during like really busy times why they might do that because, you know, maybe the the whole day is full and some of the cheaper slots are at night. But right now there's no flights going in or out. So I have no idea why they would resort to that. But that was literally the only 
flights were all at 2 a.m. or 2.30 a.m. So it was annoying, but I was able to get on the plane and just sleep for, for five hours. I also was able to use the lounge in both Colombo and also in Dubai through my priority pass. Uh, unfortunately, when I updated my phone from the iPhone 11 to 12, the priority pass app logged me out and basically no longer shows my virtual card anymore. And for whatever stupid reason, you need to physically scan your physical card to use the virtual card. So if you're a digital nomad, if you're living abroad and you don't have access to the physical card to load it onto your phone, or if you get a new phone, you, you lose that access. Thank God I, was, I found a screenshot of my digital card from when I had it last year. And they let me use it and it was fine. But it is one big annoyance if uh, you are going through you know, this, this situation. Uh, if, you, if you're not familiar with the priority pass, I have a blog post about it on Johnny FD. But basically it allows you into kind of like business class lounges and airports. It was very, very useful when I was flying a lot. Because instead of sitting in the loud terminal where, you know, it's echoey, it's uncomfortable, you have a ton of people around, you have screaming babies, you have overpriced food, you have $5 bottles of water. In the lounges, everything's free, everything's quiet, you know, sometimes you have a nice workspace, you have a nap room, you can take a shower sometimes, there's a buffet, so it's really comfortable. Uh, in Colombo, I was literally the only one in there, and they had, you know... Obviously, no, no buffet because there's no people, but they had like a box of, of food that was actually okay, not bad, and they had drinks. Um, but I wasn't hungry anyways because I had a really nice meal at my, my friend's house, uh, Shihan and Chanel's place, and their parents cooked me kind of a going away dinner in Sri Lankan style, so that was very nice. Shout out to Chaneller on YouTube if you want to check her out. But I basically just slept on the plane, got to Dubai in the morning, uh, and maybe that's why they have these crazy flights is so they can start having flights come in, you know, super early, 6.30 in the morning. But either way, I got to the lounge, showed my my screenshot, uh, and I was able to get in. Uh, it was hard to find the lounge. <laughs> and there's nobody there to help, and half the lounges are closed. But I found it, and actually, it was great fantastic food um, Dubai airport is still happening it's almost like pre-pandemic uh, still a lot less people but still pretty full probably 40% full I would say you know maybe even yeah I would say 40% full but the food is excellent they have a, you know a shower room uh, and there's nothing better than taking a nice hot shower in between flights during layover it just it refreshes you and just makes you feel so much better but I had an excellent buffet breakfast, uh, did some work, and then got on my flight from Dubai to Ukraine. A lot of you don't know this, but I've actually started a new sport this year. I started snowboarding. The only problem is snowboard gear is expensive, but I'm really excited that I found an alternative. Hey bosses, real quick, I want to tell you about this week's new sponsor, rerouted.co. It's a great place to list used adventure gear or to buy secondhand adventure gear. Not only is it better for the environment, not to throw things away and not to always have to purchase new, but it's a great way to save some money or even earn some money. So if you're trying to clear out your closet, you know, if you're moving around the world and traveling like I am, 
this is a great place to go on and list your items for sale. Or if you're like me, who just started a new sport, you can go and buy your snowboard boots, uh, maybe a jacket, maybe some bindings on rerouted.co. So check them out. It's rerouted.co. Uh, once again, www.rerouted.co. That flight was kind of a, a weird flight because it almost felt like a d domestic flight, even though it was international. But it was just a, a two-row uh, plane with three seats on each side. Uh, luckily, there was nobody in the middle between me and my uh, my neighbor, uh, who's actually this cute girl who spoke a little bit of English, so it was nice to communicate. But, you know, it's kind of a boring flight. There's no entertainment, so I, I ended up watching something on my laptop. Uh, actually, I watched something called... 90 Day Fiancé, which is about uh, people who move back to the U.S. on a fiancé visa and they have 90 days to get married. It's it's pretty trashy uh, reality content, but actually it's it's pretty funny to, to watch, especially on a plane. But uh, I got to Kiev without really any issues, arriving super easy, and I took an Uber from the airport to my Airbnb in the city center. And it was so easy. Like, it was so cheap to take the the, the Uber, even though it was, you know, like a 40-minute drive. Uh, and instantly, I, I was happy I was there. I was freezing because I literally went from, like, plus 32 Celsius, which is, I want to say, like, 90 degrees or 85 degrees, down to, I think it was maybe minus 3. So, I mean, yeah, I went from 89 to, you know, minus 3, which is... 26 Fahrenheit, like freezing temperature. So my body had to adjust, and it was difficult. Uh, the very next day, I went to the to the mall and bought all new clothes. <laughs> and luckily, it was open because right now, as of a few days ago, Kiev has become into the what they call the red zone, where it's. It's it's a bit confusing, <clears throat> confusing, and Kiev was basically wide open when I arrived two weeks ago. Everything was open. Restaurants were open, bars were open, nightclubs were open, restaurants were open, gyms were open, and it was fine. Last week, Kiev went into lockdown, which just meant bars, nightclubs, and restaurants were closed. Uh, they could still do takeaway, but the gym was open, and I was like, okay, this is fine. I can still go to the gym, and uh, my my sauna and my and my pool was closed, but it wasn't that big of a deal. Still relatively normal life. And then just a few days ago, Kiev went to red. And what that, the way that's measured is if more than 74% of the ventilators in the hospital in that region are occupied, it automatically goes under like pretty much the, the highest lockdown where now the gyms are closed. And I, I don't think it actually affects that much more. Um, but now I really don't have a reason to leave the house every day, except I've been looking at apartments. <laughs> I like Ukraine so much, and I have been for the last three years, that I've decided to finally buy an apartment here. I've kind of dreamed about buying an apartment somewhere in the world. At first it was Chiang Mai, because I spent so much time there. But the problem with Chiang Mai is the visa issue, where even if you buy a place, you don't actually get a visa. I think they have... Some kind of programmer, if you invest 10 million Thai baht, which is 330,000 US, into a property, you can get a five-year visa, uh, like a resident visa. 
in Thailand. But honestly, it's not very good. I mean, it's it's basically the Thai Elite visa, which you can buy for 16000 if you really wanted it. Um, but I think my time in Thailand is a bit over for now. Uh, I'll probably, you know, for sure I'll go back someday. But this is my first year in more than 10 years now that I've been going every every winter that I'm skipping Thailand for a year. And I'm okay with that. Um, I think I really just want to be in a city again. And being here in Kiev for the last two weeks really made me appreciate being in a big city where I can walk everywhere, where um, the metro works, Uber is everywhere, that the internet always works flawlessly and it's fast and it's unlimited. And it was so funny. I was watching Netflix the other day. I got a pop-up saying your um, your monthly gig, your monthly like allowance like a gigabyte limit has been reached like warning and i was like what what do you like what is this and i remember oh this is something i set when i was living in sri lanka because every time i went over 80 gigabytes i'd have to pay another 80 dollars or something so i just had to limit my netflix watching which is something that we never think about in kind of westernized countries where we're home internet is always unlimited i mean the only other country i've seen where internet wasn't unlimited was south africa so you know basically sri lanka and south africa in terms of internet were very similar it was almost exactly the same and both places were terrible so in ukraine i think i bought a sim card for maybe four or five maybe five dollars at the airport and basically it's unlimited for the month i mean uh with local data with like sim card data 4G, it's not actually unlimited. I th- I, th- I think it's it might only even be eight gigs, but all the streaming services like uh, and social media services like YouTube, uh, Facebook, Instagram, they're all unlimited. So I don't think I'll even go through um, the eight gigs during the month, especially because everywhere I go, at home, in every office, in every restaurant, every coffee shop, they have internet. Uh, I mean, Wi-Fi, and it's unlimited. So basically, Wi-Fi is a non-issue in Ukraine, and it's super cheap. Other things, though, aren't actually that cheap. I think people mistaken thinking you know, they can move to, to Kiev and save a ton of money. And maybe you can if you want to live like outside of the city, kind of like a student. And take the metro everywhere. And, you know, cook at home most of the time. Yeah, then you can definitely, you know, stay in a place that's like, you know, 300 bucks a month, but be 20 minutes outside of the city. Uh, you know, take a 30 cent metro into the city every day. And it's fine. It's kind of like living in New Jersey. But I didn't move here to, to live in New Jersey. You know, I'm right in the city center. I can walk everywhere. I almost never even take the metro because everything's so close. And I take Ubers everywhere because... It's like a $2 ride everywhere. It's 2 or $3. Even far rides. You know, I think I took one out to the dacha, kind of to the to the sauna uh, to meet some friends. And it was like a 35-minute ride, and it was 4 bucks. So I love the convenience of being in the city center, but having the money to be able to eat at these restaurants that aren't actually that cheap. Like, I would say the cheapest lunch you're going to have, or like a normal lunch, it's going to be $4 to $8. And for dinner, you're probably going to be spending anywhere between eight to fifteen or twenty dollars. You know, especially if you were going out to any of the like slightly nicer restaurants, if you have some wine, then it's pretty easy to spend 
you know, let's say 30, 40 bucks for two people. So that might sound very expensive depending on where you're from. But to me, that's kind of like what prices were like in the U.S. 20 years ago. <laughs> so in Kiev is very similar to living in New York or living in L.A. or any of these big cities in the U.S. or living even in a lot of big capital cities in, in Europe. But compared to those places, you're still paying half the price for food, paying, you know, half half the price for rent. You're paying a quarter of the price for uh, internet, for metros, for taxis and things like that. So you do end up still saving quite a bit of money. But what I like about it also is just it's very authentic. There's very few tourists here still. I mean, people are slowly starting to come. But what will always keep uh, Ukraine kind of down especially for tourists, is the language barrier, where the majority of people don't speak English. So unless you speak Russian or Ukrainian, you're going to have a hard time communicating with 90, 95% of people. And that's why I'm learning Russian. That's why I like it here, because it keeps out the, the package tourists, it keeps out the weekend tourists, and it keeps out anyone who's kind of afraid of adventure and isn't willing to you know, really dedicate some time into learning at least the basics of a language. So Ukraine itself, I, I love it. You know, I really love the culture. I love the food. I love the city itself. I love the layout of the city. It's like not too big. It's not too small. It's beautiful. I love the this like Sarsky uh, architecture, not the Soviet <clears throat> gray kind of concrete architecture, but the buildings that existed before the Soviets came. And a lot of it's still intact which is really beautiful you know there's good nature around here the people are beautiful you know the bars the drinks it's like it's amazing so that's why i like ukraine and their permanent residency program is available with just a hundred thousand dollar investment and you can and it's one of the easiest ones out there there's still a bunch of paperwork and bureaucracy and unfortunately, it's not very straightforward. So it took me a long time to find a good lawyer that's actually done it before. I think till this day, she's the only lawyer who's actually went through the whole process because it is a new program that just started about two years ago. And it takes about a year to actually go through the process. So the way it works is basically you open a company uh, in Ukraine, uh, like an LLC, and you transfer $100,000 US into that company. And you, then you have to convert it from USD to Grivna, their local currency. And then you can actually invest in whatever you want. So unlike some countries where it has to be approved real estate, which just means somebody's getting a 20% cut or you're buying stuff that's overpriced, here you can basically buy whatever you want with it or use it for any business expense. I've heard you can even just leave it in the bank for a year and then just transfer it back out after everything's done because you're still keeping money in the country for a year. I would like to buy a place, mostly as a hedge against prices going up here, because right now things are very cheap, but I, f I have a feeling that things are going to get more and more expensive in Ukraine, and I don't want to get priced out of the market. I don't want to come back here and not be able to easily afford uh, the cost of living or rent here. So that's why right now you can still get apartments in the city center for about $2,000 per square meter, which is about $200 per square foot. I don't know how that compares to where you live, but compared to places like California, it's you know a quarter of the price. Um, and here's the thing is, I would say that 
on one hand, it's very easy here because when you buy a place, it actually comes with furniture. So you could just buy a place and just move in if you like everything. Um, but the, the downside of it is renovations are always a pain in the butt. Um, I've spoken to a few friends who have went through like a remodeling process and none of them recommend the contractors. They, they all said that they were kind of hard to work with and there's problems. And I think that's kind of just the way it is. Luckily, as of last year, IKEA has finally opened in Ukraine. And it, they've been trying to come for five or 10 years now, but bureaucracy was holding them back. And you know, word has it that somebody was holding on the process because they wanted to get paid for it. But with IKEA being here, it's much easier to buy you know, decent furniture because before it was really hard to import furniture. Uh, and it was actually very overpriced, so that's why so many flats have this old, kind of ugly grandma Soviet furniture still. So whatever place I get, I'll be able to furnish, you know, relatively easily and for inexpensively. Um, I am actively looking now. I think I've already seen maybe six or seven places. And ironically, the first uh, out of the first three places I saw, the first one I was like, actually, this is moving ready. I don't like the layout that much. Uh, it, the location it was just like one kilometer away from everything I, I wanted, so half a mile away. And but the price was decent; it was one hundred twenty thousand uh, dollars, which was about two thousand dollars per square meter. But it was completely uh, remodeled with all brand new furniture that no one's ever lived in. It just it, the rooms were just really strangely laid out. They were like a little bit long and skinny, so it'd be weird to put a bed in there. Um, so actually, right now they're both set up with sofa beds. So I just didn't love it. But the very next place, perfect area, like probably the best possible area. I instantly fell in love with it. It was an old piece of crap, just kind of a shell. But I had dreams of converting it and changing the it, was, it from a studio to one bedroom apartment. And then, we, you know, uh, just basically redoing the whole place. And that deal fell through because the, the seller demanded cash and in the u.s when we say like they want cash they, they they just mean they want a quick close they don't want to deal with uh you trying to get a mortgage or a lender to prove it but here they actually mean cash so i offered to wire the money the next day and they're like he's like no 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 i want cash he's like i want you to come here with a briefcase or a duffel bag full of cash in usd and you know, I basically said, there's, there's no way in the world I'm doing that. And I also can't because I need to prove the transfer to get residency. So that deal fell through. Luckily, the very next day, I found another place that I loved. Also very good location. That one was 95000 Uh Kind of old, older renovation, but I thought this would be nice. I could knock down a wall, open it up, get some new furniture. So I put an offer down and... It started going through the process, and just before I paid the deposit, I had my lawyer go through kind of the due diligence, and luckily I did. I paid her $150 to do it. It was well worth the money because he, she found out that this property, even though it has a clear title now, uh, it's probably kind of shady because it was cleared by some notary that dismissed a bank debt uh, because the mortgage was with this bank in Crimea, uh, which you know is basically annexed by Russia, and that bank has now failed. So it's a 
there's nobody to collect the money now. So the notary was like, okay, I'll just write it off. I'm sure this, this notary got some money under the table to write it off. And everything seems okay now. But the problem is, if, as anyone knows, with bank debt, someone's buying that debt and someone's going to collect on it you know, in the future. So it might be okay for five years or 10 years. Or somebody might come knock on the door and say, hey, you owe me 50 grand or you know whatever it is. So we, unfortunately, we had to pass on that. And now I'm constantly looking at more deals to buy. And this is kind of a, a tricky part of my life right now where for the last 10 years, I've really enjoyed having zero responsibilities. I love not having to pay any bills at the end of the month, not having to deal with you know, physical property or having to be somewhere. And that's why I never bought anything. But with Ukraine, I feel like I kinda, I'm at the time you know, point in my life where I kind of want to have some responsibility. I kind of want to have something, you know, even just like a little closet somewhere where I can keep a couple of things, a place to come back to every year and either stay in myself or to rent out. And it just, I think the time in my life where I kind of just want something tangible. Who knows? I might end up regretting this uh, in a few months. I'm sure I'll have something to talk about <laughs> either way. But at least for now, it seems like a pretty good investment. Prices are low, you know, $2,000 uh, per, per square meter or actually less sometimes is a very good price pretty much anywhere in the world for a capital city. Uh, I think prices are going to appreciate eventually. But if nothing else, it's the mental space of knowing I own something. And also having foreign property in another country that's not touchable by the U.S. government. Because if you have property somewhere, it's it's yours, you know, and it's not it's not an asset that can be claimed, um, you know, to the U.S. government or the IRS for any reason. Just having kind of a, a hedge, just in case, who knows, right? And more importantly, to get this permanent residency, it's a easy way to legally be somewhere else, just in case the world goes into, into some travel bans again. It would be nicer to get a second passport somewhere, but there isn't, isn't really a place I want to get one. Uh, unfortunately, I can't do it in Ukraine because they only allow uh, one passport. So if I get a Ukrainian one, I have to give up my US one, which there's you know, no possible way I'm going to do. I could get a Turkish passport very easily through a $250,000 investment there, but the Turkish passport really isn't that strong. And it's going to be kind of annoying to have to explain why I have a passport from a Muslim country, especially when I go back to the U.S. Uh, and I haven't actually been to Turkey yet, so that still isn't uh, that big of an option. The place I would actually want to <clears throat> want the passport is Lisbon in, or Portugal. But I don't really want to live there. You know, it would be great to have the Schengen passport, EU passport, but honestly, I don't really want to live there. Plus, that's a $150,000 investment if I want to do it in Lisbon or at least $300,000 uh, if I do it somewhere else. So it is much more pricey. So this is kind of the best option for now uh, to have this permanent residency. And my plan would be to spend around or a little bit less than six months a year here during the good months. And in the warm months or the, the winter months, just go somewhere else. You know, And that might be Thailand. That might be Sri Lanka again. Who knows? But uh, I want to have a base for six months a year and not move so fast. And unfortunately, there isn't an easy way to stay in Ukraine for more than 90 days at a time. We're very lucky. We don't need a, uh, any kind of visa for 90 days at a time. But it's physically impossible to stay for more than 90 
uh, without leaving for 90 days. And the problem with the weather is there's only six months of summer. So I can either have the first three months or the last three months. And I could come back for three, month, three months in the winter, but I wouldn't want to do that. So this is the best option. The only other options are marriage, which I'm not going to do. Uh, I could get a visa, I mean a business visa, but that's going to be half the process of what I'm doing now anyways. And it, it lasts, you know, one to three years. A lot of people do something called a volunteer visa, which is kind of shady because you, normally you're volunteering for some, you know, NGO and you're kind of just donating money. Um, and sometimes those visas end up getting canceled because they, they realize that, you know, it's, it's no one's actually volunteering there. So I just don't want to risk that. And a, another option used to be that you could just overstay and pay a fine and no one really cared. But because Ukraine is trying to get closer to the EU, the EU is forcing them to enforce the visa overstay policies. So I don't want to get banned from, from coming back. So I, I want to do it the legal way. So this permanent residency through investment is actually the best option for me. Uh, and it's kind of fun to look at places... It's a bit disheartening um, figuring out all the logistics of it all because honestly, it is really annoying. Uh, for example, to put down a deposit for an apartment, you can only do it in cash. And if if any of you have ever tried to get $5,000 in cash while you're abroad, it's very hard to do. Like I still don't even really know how I'm going to do it besides maybe go through like Western Union or something and pay this fee. So that's kind of just the way it is. Um, love, I have a love-hate relationship with Ukraine, but I, I think right now there's nowhere else I'd rather be. Um, even with the lockdown here, things are relatively still free and open. I mean, we can walk on the street all you want. You can go to the grocery store. You can go, you know, to a lot of different shops. Um, a lot of things are still open, you know, and you know, even if you want to go to a coffee shop, you can. You just have to stand outside or basically use the tables outside and as spring is coming i think a lot of people are just gonna sit outside anyway so it's really not that big of a deal but keep an eye on my youtube channel johnny fd because i started putting out content from ukraine i have no idea if people are gonna watch it or not i mean this the first video i had a lot of people watch still a lot of sri lankans actually commented because i think they're just curious about what my life is like here in in ukraine but who knows they might get bored of it after uh one or two videos because you know, it's such a different place. Maybe they don't have any interest in coming here. So who knows? So my primary income from my YouTube channel might end up drying up. But I'm lucky that I had saved investing enough for it's not that big of a deal for me anymore, uh, even though it is nice to have, you know, the 1500 or two grand a month from it. And also kind of on that note, I don't know what I, I if I want to be that involved in the digital nomad or entrepreneur uh, community anymore. I, I just I've done it for so many years, and I made enough money now where I retired from it. And I'm just not that excited about starting new businesses anymore, or even helping people start businesses. You know, I'm glad I did this podcast because I've left so much good information for people to get started. I mean, literally, there's been 200 plus guests who have been successful in so many different businesses. I would say half the people on this podcast, you know, make six figures or more. So there's so much good information and I'm asked all the time to be a guest on other people's podcasts or to speak at their conference or even co-host conferences, you know, bring the Nomad Summit to their country. 
and I just, I don't know if I want to do it anymore. Like, I, I, honestly, I'm just tired and I'm, uh, I'm not excited about it anymore. I think I was so excited for in the last seven or eight years to, you know, talk about business 24 seven to make money. But now, now that I've made enough money and luckily I was smart enough to save enough money, I'm a lot more excited about investing it. And that's why invest like a boss. My other podcast is so consistent. Um, and it's something that I'm really excited about. So I think I'll continue to make podcasts for Travel Like a Boss, but really have guests and topics on that I'm really interested in. So don't expect more than one or two shows per month. Uh, if you have any you know, suggestions on what you want to hear, if you want to see if you like these solo episodes or not, uh, let me know. Let me know in the, the comments. Um, send me a message on Instagram at JohnnyFDK or Facebook. You know, if you like, if you love this format, and you love the show, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, hopefully five stars so other people can see it. But either way, uh, it's been fun kind of brain dumping <laughs> everything I have uh, have been doing, you know, this last couple of weeks since I've been gone. Um, my friends Engen and Liana are actually coming to Ukraine very soon, I think on April 4th. So... In about a week and a half, I'll see them, uh, and I'll travel with them a bit. It's going to be fun. But for now, it's Johnny in Kiev for the next six months, and maybe Johnny investing in an apartment and becoming a per- permanent resident of Ukraine, hopefully also in the next six months. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, great talking to all of you. I hope you're doing well. Hope everyone stays safe, is healthy, and I'll see you somewhere in the world, maybe even in Eastern Europe. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.